Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Uh, It's good to be seen, you know, right? It's good to see have people see you. Uh, Those of you online, we see you, not literally, but metaphorically. We're glad that you're here, literally glad that you're here with us. Um, Sometimes there aren't easy answers to things. That's especially true when it comes to Christians involving ourselves in politics. Um, There's a lot to keep straight in our mind. There's a lot to keep uh, focused on when we are following Jesus and, and when we are involved in politics. We have to always keep in mind what Scripture says and what values we bring with us to the political realm. We need to know that the, the certain um, ends and, and the certain limitations that government has. And we must make sure that our hopes are not put in them. We have to guard our hearts against all the vices that come when we are involved politically. And beyond all that, we've got to make sure that we remember that there is ultimately a mission that we are called to and is to make disciples of Jesus. And ultimately that there is an evil one. He wants to uh, change people's lives in the worst way. And we have a follower or we have we have a king who wants to bring followers of his into life eternal. There's a lot to keep in mind when we are delving into politics and uh a German uh, theologian and pastor knew this quite well. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe some of you have heard of him. Back in the 1930s, as the, the Nazi party and Adolf Hitler were rising to power in Germany, he was observing all of this as it happened. And uh, he was one of the leaders of the German Confessing Church movement in the 1930s. And so he was completely committed to uh, seeing that the, the way we can make the most good in the world is by involving ourselves and investing in the church and, and raising up people who become disciples of Jesus. But as he started to see all of the evil that was being done um, in Germany, he started to wrestle with things. See, he was... Um, theologically, he was a pacifist. So what that means is he was nonviolent in his posture and in his practice. And that's what he believed Jesus to teach in the Sermon on the Mount, which a good case can be made for that. And so he's a serious student of the Bible, serious student of the Sermon on the Mount. He actually wrote a book um, translated into English called The Cost of Discipleship, where he delves into the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus expects for us and what the cost of following Jesus really is. In our day and time, I highly recommend that book and following Bonhoeffer. But one of the things that he was wrestling with is he's seeing all of this evil happen in his country and uh, seemingly throughout the rest of Europe um, by the, the Nazi party, by Adolf Hitler. And he wrestled with this for, the, for a long time. And um, he ultimately came to the decision that could be seen as contradicting his theology of pacifism. But he decided to join in the uh, attempt to assassinate Adolf Hitler because for him, he was committed to justice, committed to uh, caring for those who were oppressed. And he didn't want to see um, the ultimate end that the Nazis were trying to do, and that is to extinguish all Jewish people from the face of this earth and also many other people in their society that they would see as undesirable. Um, he didn't want to see that happen, and so he, he saw that it was his responsibility to join um, in that attempt, and ultimately it, it failed, but ultimately he 
died in a concentration camp and was assassinated, or he was, he was killed um, by uh, the Nazis just right before um, Germany lost World War II. Um, and so Bonhoeffer wrestled with the, the realities of our day that is full of sin, that we will not see a grand utopia because sin still exists, and that uh, any politician who promises a utopia, understanding, understand they're just, they're just making up stuff so that you'll vote for them. Um, he, he saw the, the incredible sin in the world, and he also understood the amazing love and grace that God had for all people no matter if they look like him or not. Um, and, and Bonhoeffer had to wrestle with the same kinds of things that we have to wrestle with when we are involved in politics. Because if you take Jesus' words seriously, then you'll, you'll come to a conclusion eventually that politics and being a follower of Jesus and involving yourself in politics, it's difficult. It's difficult. Because, because God expects us, calls us to love our neighbor and our enemy. And, and, and there are things that, that we have to guard ourselves against, like we talked about last week, the vices that can so easily in, in, infiltrate our hearts when we're involved in politics. Um, because also for us as Christians, we have to remember that Jesus did not just save us only for heaven. He saved us so that we could live abundant life now. And so one of the risks we have, if we are someone who um, says, you know, I'm not going to involve myself at all in politics, is to say, you know, what we're focused on where our, where our ultimate citizenship is, and that is in heaven, in the kingdom of God. And that is right and true. But also, Jesus said that he came to give us life and give it abundantly right here and now. And that People's existence and experiences here on earth matters. That justice coming down on earth, it matters. And that we as followers of Jesus would be a part of ushering in God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, to have his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we follow him. So what happens here and now is important. And we, we, we need not be just focused on heaven that we're no earthly good. We, we must do the work here and now as well. Um, because at the same time, it's, it's a sinful world. We know that there will not be a utopia. And we know that re- politics has a temporary importance level. In this sense, that, that one day Jesus will return and all that is broken will be made new again. And that we will be able to experience life without needing to worry ourselves about politics. Why? Because we'll have a king who's ruling and reigning and there's no need for us to add our opinion because everything's perfect anyway. And if we added our opinion, we would just take away from the perfection. And so Jesus is on the throne. But today we see that this is difficult work. We, we should see. If you think, if, if, if politics for you is easy... If, if, if God hasn't convicted you in, in the area of politics in your life, if you think it's just easy peasy, um, you're probably not following the God of the universe. You're probably following a God you made in your own image. If God's never disagreed with you in the way that you do politics or even a stance that you take politically, then maybe you're not reading Him. Maybe you're not hearing from Him. So it's difficult work, okay? This is difficult work, but I think we can uh, delve into it with all these caveats in place um, because it's, it's difficult to keep all the issues in, in the forefront of our mind and then think about all the angles, and it's really more than any individual can handle. Um, so what today we're going to do is I'm going to attempt to 
um, with us, we're going to all attempt to put a bow on this conversation we've been having on politics. Here's the problem. I don't have enough ribbon. So it's going to be an ugly bow. But here's the thing. I never sought out to address every political issue and uh, thing that we could deal with as followers of Jesus in our day and time. That was never my goal. My goal was not to tell you, here's how to vote on every issue. That's not my goal. My goal is to give you a framework to think biblically about these things, to, to make sure that you are aware of the things that are happening with your heart when you're involved. And for those of you who may be not involved, maybe to uh, show you that it's, it's, it is important for you to, to delve into this, at least to the degree that you feel like God's calling you to do it. Um, and so I'm not here to just say, hey, here's a complete package, take it, and then just go, um, go, in, go in peace and, and execute all of these things. That's not my, that's not my goal. I, I don't want to tell you what to think. I want to show you what God says, and then you can take that. Okay? Amen? So uh, the, the bow is going to look ugly, and we're going to get to the end, and you're going to be like, well, okay, i got more questions. That's fine. That's fine. Be curious and go and pursue it. So where we've been so far, we've built a biblical political theology from Scripture. Ask the question, what does God think about government? What do you think about politics? What does that even mean? Um, and then we, last week we talked about the values that we bring as followers of Jesus into the political realm. And then we talked about the vices we must guard our hearts against. Today, we're going to uh, attempt to look at the political path forward as Christians. Um, but some of you may be asking the question. You, you still may be not convinced. Should we uh, involve ourselves politically? Some of you are still asking that question. Like, is this even a thing that we should do? And I get it because there are many uh, people uh, who follow Jesus uh, uh, faithfully and love him. Uh, they see that uh, all of society is stained by sin. That's true. They, they see that um, when we involve ourselves in things of society, we get it gets messy, right? And we, we all would agree that that's true. Um, and so they've decided, you know, we just need to create these alternative Christian communities uh, where we're completely separate from the world. Um, and, and, and we're just going to be able to do our own thing and, and, and not be involved. But what we're going to see is that we need to be in dialogue. We need to be in but not of the world. Um, and I think that's what is going to be seen here in this text. But let me just remind you of something else, is that if we ask the question, should we be, involve ourselves politically, understand that's a question that many people throughout history have, have never thought about asking. And here's why. Many people have been oppressed. And for them... Political engagement was the pathway to peace and being able to actually follow Jesus in, in ways that they felt called or to actually have some kind of freedom in their lives. And so uh, for those who have been oppressed, it's never really been a question. The question has always been, do I have enough power to influence anything? Do I even have any place politically to do any good? Um, so understand, like, we, we need to make sure that we understand this from a scriptural standpoint that um, our involvement of politics comes from a place, but we also have to have the caveat that um, in the first century, followers of Jesus, they did not have a bunch of political power. They did not have any at all. Um, And yet what they did is that they were loving, they were forgiving, they were merciful, and they focused on uh, making disciples of Jesus and caring for the poor and, and making sure that those who were oppressed were taken care of. And shortly thereafter, a couple hundred years later, the Roman Empire was completely changed. So much so that the emperor Constantine, the emperor of the Roman Empire, was a Christian. But then we see things take a turn for the worse. Because Constantine decided that as a emperor, you know, one of the 
things that governments do is they coerce into obedience. Well, that's not how the kingdom of God works. You don't coerce someone to become a Christian. Um, and Constantine started to do that. And what we see happening is that what was once a loving, forgiving, serving church, it became an angry, coercing, killing church. So understand, as, as Christians, we've not always gotten this right. Because, again, there's a, there's a vice of a, of a grasping for power that we must guard against when it comes to politics. So with all that said, let's dive into Scripture. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. Let's see what Jesus says about our involvement in society. And uh, we'll go from there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Is what, this is what Jesus says. You, 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 his followers, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth. It's not merely what you do, it's who you are. And when you understand who you are, you'll know what to do. So Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Um, for the first century uh, Palestinian people, Jewish people, salt was, was something that was filled with impurities. It was attached to impurities because some of you know that salt can't lose its saltiness, literally. It can't do that. But what they, would, what they knew is that uh, with, their, with their meat and all that stuff, they were needing to use it to preserve the meat because they have refrigerators um, or freezers. They used salt as a preservative. But their salt that they got was always attached to impurities. So if the salt is, is disattached, detached from its impurities, and all that is left is the impurities, then the salt has essentially, practically lost its saltiness. And so Jesus says, hey, you, as followers of Jesus, are the salt of the earth. Which means that what you're supposed to do, what we are supposed to do, is to preserve the things in this world that can get moldy. That can get, that can go bad. Um, that we are, we are destined to be. We are called to be. We are literally the salt of the earth. We keep things from spoiling. That's what we're supposed to do. That is, that is who we are. And so if the salt loses its saltiness, then we see the world getting more spoiled and moldy. So when we ask the question, when we ponder in our hearts and we see what's happening in the world, we say, what is going on? Why is all this evil happening? We must ask ourselves, have we lost our saltiness as Christians? Because what we're supposed to see is that we're preserving what is good and we're making better the things that need to be made better. That's our call. That is who we are. We are the salt of the earth. So sometimes when we look at the world and we see all the sin, which it is sinful, and it will be. We will never be able to see a world that is sinless unless we, uh, until we get to the new earth that Jesus creates and makes all, all things new. But what we should be seeing is more and more people uh, becoming freed from the bondage of sin because we are making disciples of his. Right? 
And so when we see uh, him doing that and we are not uh, cl- clustered over by ourselves in our little Christian little spaces, when we are actually interacting with the world, that means our, us as salt, we're actually living out our purpose. You are the salt of the earth. But when the salt loses its saltiness, what does that mean? It means when we attach ourselves to the impurities of the world, we lose our effect. We sacrifice our witness. So that's why politics is so vastly difficult for Christians if we're going to do it right. If we're going to speak truth in love, if we're going to hold up grace and truth at the same time, if we're going to be able to speak truth on an issue and still love the person, that's difficult. And some of us, we've given ourselves over to fear and anger so much so that we've sacrificed our ability to be true salt of the earth. Why? Because we are so attached to impurities and our effectiveness has been diminished. You see, church, we we have um, a dynamic in our country right now that um, Christians are often pandered to by politicians. You know, we, we, we like, oh, they, they're saying something nice about us. They're saying something friendly about us. And we're like, yeah, that's good. And that's fine. We should, we should, you know, kind of rejoice in that, I guess, to some degree. But understand that there's always an agenda. And that's not to say that there are no politicians who are Christians. There are plenty of them. And who are faithfully following Jesus and they have a, have a real faith. But understand when, when a politician is pandering to you, you know what they want. They want your money and your vote. What you need to do, what we need to do, is make sure that we look at the issues, the things that, where they take stands on. What are, what are their belief system? How's their worldview? How's their ideology shaped? And is it informed by scripture? Is, is it actually biblical? Versus just hearing some talking points that are designed to be for you in your time right now as a Christian here because they know that you'll vote for them if they, if you, if they sound friendly to you. We must make sure that we actually look at what people stand for. Not, well, they said something nice, so they must, uh, they must be a Christian. Really? We must dig deeper if we're going to be engaged politically. And church, as the salt of the earth, we are not going to be duped by the fear and the anger and the sensationalism of our day. We can't be. We must resist those things. Fear and anger are great motivators. And you know how to get you really motivated and really fearful and really angry? It's to throw out some sensationalist claims. And by the way, this is not anything new. If you're like, oh man, politics is so divisive. Yeah, it's always been that way. It's definitely been that way here in our country since before its founding. Think about this. Um, consider this quote. If politician wins, the country will deal with a wave of murder, atheism, rape, adultery, and robbery. If this politician wins, this one person, wins the election, this country will deal with a wave of murder, atheism, rape, adultery, and robbery. Stoking some fear, stoking some anger, and doing it through a sensationalist view. Here's the full quote. If Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, wins, the country will deal with a wave of murder, atheism, rape, adultery, and robbery from the Connecticut current of 1800. 
Y'all thought that might have been from uh, MSNBC or Fox News just yesterday. It's the same playbook. It's the same deck of cards, just played at a different time. May we, as the salt of the earth, not be duped by these claims. There are some things that are super serious. As we know that politicians or government officials, whatever, um, they can do great evil. Adolf Hitler. We, we just talked about him. And yet they can also do some great good. So to the degree that we can, we must see below all of the claims, all of the pandering, all of the sensationalism that is only used in our day and time so that you'll pay attention to it. So you'll be motivated in their agenda. Let's look at it again. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. That's who you are. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. This is what Jesus is saying to his followers. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, this is what his call to action is, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. It's who you are. It's not just what you do. It's who you are. But out of, what, out of who you are is what you do. And that's what we do. We shine light in the midst of a dark world. That's what we're supposed to do. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. What does he mean? Um, well, he's not just talking to you individually. He's talking to you uh, corporately as, as the church, the group. No Lone Ranger Christians in, in this thing. Because guess what? We all get together, rowing in the same direction, all shining our lights in the same way. That's a lot more illumination. And by the way, we don't shine the light that just comes from us. It comes through us from Jesus to the world. So that when people see what we do, when people see how we are, when people see the stands that we take, and the way we take the stand, they will... See our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Y'all, how often do you see that in the political realm? Why not? Are there Christians in this country? Yeah. You are the light of the world. The way we do politics. Not just, not just the, the, the ideas that we have that are biblical. We ought to not just pursue the truth of Jesus without also doing it in the way of Jesus. And if we do the truth of Jesus in the way of Jesus, we'll have the life of Jesus. But when we separate truth from his way, we sacrifice our witness. Because then people won't be interested in the life of Jesus. So, we are the light of the world. That means that we go to the places and the spaces of darkness in our day. And we shine our lights bright by simply being there. This is why by, by just let's make our own Christian cloister community over here and we'll just be our own thing. That's why that that's not a biblical way of doing things. Not, but I get it. I get, the, I get the draw. 
I get to draw. Like, ah, let's put our hands up. Let's not be involved in this stuff. I get it because it's messy. It's, it's sometimes not fun. It's full of drama, this world is. Right? It's full of sin. We get messy and it's not fun. But, and, and sometimes it's battling with our kids and, and their upbringing and, and them to follow Jesus. We, we see that they're dealing with all these different ideas. Some of us, we don't have great answers for it because we're not in Scripture enough and we don't uh, understand how to, how to do battle in this way. So I, I get it, but also that's not what Jesus is calling us to. He says, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And so I think that gives us a, a way to go about things. Um, Tony Evans, he says this. I love this quote. When we speak truth to the culture, which we should do, when we speak truth to the culture... We must do so compassionately so it is inexplicably clear that while we maintain God's standards, we do so in an attitude of humility, love, and forgiveness. While we must reject abortion, we must love the woman seeking one. While we must reject homosexual marriage, we must love and minister to the homosexual. When love is detached from truth, watch this, y'all. Just write this down. When love is detached from truth, truth loses the influence it was intended to have. When love is detached from truth, truth loses the influence it was intended to have. Let's just meditate on that and call it a day. We could. Let us be about truth. But let us also be about Love as well. We must see, as the salt of the earth, the light of the world, we must see below the either-or talking points that are filled with politics today. The either-or, it's this this false dichotomy, this false choice, this false dilemma. Um, Any of you who are involved in rhetoric in college and and you've you've stayed in in tune with those things, um, politics is filled with with these false arguments, this either-or dynamic. Here's just one that you'll all find, you know, as a, as a friendly either-or talking point, because you've all... Anyway, let me just say it. You're either for women's health, or you're against abortion. If you're against abortion, you're not for women's health. Right? That's, that's the argument in our day and time. If we say we're pro-life, then that's interpreted as, you hate women. That's not, that, that's a false choice. That's a false choice. And you can think of all the other kind of d- different issues that are presented to us in an either-or manner. And we must recognize that that framing of that argument is not right. That there's a third, a fourth, some other options. There's a different way to have these conversations. But understand, Christians... If you're in here, if you're online, and you are a follower of Jesus, then understand when we take biblical stances on biblical ethics, that we can see in Scripture, it's black and white, it's, this is how it is. You will be called a bigot. But if you do it in love, you'll be called a bigot anyway, but you might even reach someone with the truth. You might, be re- you might reach someone with the truth. Let us not sacrifice 
grace on the altar of truth because it's a false choice. You can do both. The Gospel Coalition talks about this because we oftentimes see these either-or talking points framed in media, social media, uh, memes, whatever. Um, This is what they say. Citizens who rely on mass media for political information are beholden to someone else's agenda and priorities. Christians are no exception. Christians must think outside the cultural frameworks and outflank current political considerations. Mass media have co-opted our imaginations such that we can't even imagine issues and solutions outside the way the discussion is already framed. Christians must maneuver around the established boundaries of political discourse and engage important issues defined by Scripture. There is a different way to frame conversations. And and my worry is that... um, We've not done enough of this first point um, on practical steps to a Christian political path forward. So I want to give you Christian uh, political path forward, some steps um, as we uh, close out this conversation. Number one, grow in your understanding of God's word. Grow in your understanding of God's word. This is what we must do to start. My, my, my worry is that because we've, we've become somewhat anemic, in the church here in America on biblical uh, just awareness, biblical study. We've, we've just stopped reading our Bibles. Uh, and instead, um, we're, our pol- politics is shaped more around sociology rather than theology. And, and so our, our arguments and the way we understand issues is, is shaped by just what the party says and not shaped from a robust biblical framework and a robust understanding of what Scripture says and with a desire to love people so that we look at all sides of an issue and we're able to deduce and to distinguish what is biblical and what is not. Instead, what we've said is we've just bought into the talking points and said, well, this is my side and that's what they say, so that's what I'm going to say. Too often times our political discourse is merely a regurgitation of the political commentator that we heard all day commentating on political issues rather than us actually thinking about these things in a biblical and a deep way with love for neighbor in mind as well. May we be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. The only way we can do that is if we actually understand who we are, if we actually understand what God says about it. Because to the degree that we understand what God says and are able to represent that view is the degree that we can be the salt of the earth. Otherwise, we're just coming up with Second Opinions chapter 4, verse 3. And some of us, is that's, that's the book we live in when we come to politics. And that's not a good book to read. Number two, let the Lord govern you. Let the Lord govern you. Um, before we need to worry about uh, delving into the governmental systems of our locality, of our state, of the federal government, um, we, we must foreign policy, you know, everyone becomes foreign po- policy experts whenever something's going on. Um, we must let the Lord govern us first. Are you actually following, are you committed to him? Let the Lord govern you. Number three, follow Jesus in your home and your church. Follow Jesus in your home and your church. Follow Jesus in your home and your church. That's what the early church did, and they transformed the culture while adding on to that, caring for their neighbor. Um, Don't discount the value that you bring to the world when you follow Jesus in your home. 
whether you have a family with kids or whatever or not. Never discount that value, that that is a political act to follow Jesus in every area of life. Why? Because we say that there's another king. Not Caesar, Jesus. Friends, um, when we see the exodus that is all, seems to always happen or seems to oftentimes happen with teenagers who grow up uh, in the church and then they get out of the house and then they leave the church, understand a big portion of that is done because they grow up going to church and hearing all this important stuff about Jesus. And then when they go back home, they don't see their parents actually taking it seriously. And I think we would do really well to focus on our own house in a lot of ways. And are we following Jesus in our home? Are we doing I have to ask myself that question. And I would encourage you to do the same. Because when young people see that, oh, this is just a, this is just a show, and the show ain't that good. You know, like Brandon's not that good. I'm not just going to come here and listen to him talk. Unless I have a conviction that Jesus is king. But when they see the practice not happen, it's, it's, it's a quick, quick exit from the church. And y'all, we're going to need each other. We're better together. So we need to be involved together in the church. Because things aren't going to get easier around here. Number four, revolutionary. It really is. Vote. Vote. Christian political path forward, Vote. Do, the, do your homework with the candidates and the issues. Uh, understand your Bible, understand what God's Word says, and understand what their stance is. And vote. Number five, get involved locally. If you want to get involved politically, get involved locally. Um, go, to, go to school board meetings, see how that works. City council meetings, see how that works. If you've got a thing that you want to make your voice heard about, then yes, you can. We have freedom of speech. You can you can shout it out on Facebook, but understand you can do a lot more good if you speak to the local leaders who actually have influence and the ability to make changes. Um, get involved locally. Number six, advocate to your representatives. Advocate to your representatives. Know who your senators are. Know who your representative is federal and state level, know who they are. Reach out to them. If you, if you know of a, a bill that's coming or an issue that you want to make sure that they hear your voice and your stance on things, make sure that you reach out to them. I mean, all of us, we spend a lot of time doing stuff on social media or just reading headlines or whatever, or talking in, in our households about things, and that's important. That's, that's, that we can do that. The debate is a good thing. But are we actually taking the concerns to the people who are pulling the levers of power? Or is it just us? Like one of the ways that we as citizens do things and, and affect change is by voting, but another way is by advocating to your representatives. And you do that in a biblically robust way. I believe the Lord can work through that. Number seven, obey the Lord's leading. Obey the Lord's leading. Some of you... Um, your calling in life from a political standpoint stops with number four. You're like, okay, that's, I, don't, I don't sense that I'm supposed to get involved even more than that. 
Um, but some of you may be called by God to be a representative of his kingdom in a political space here locally, at the state level, at the federal level. Uh, and if so, go do it. But again, remember the values you bring and remember the vices you must guard your heart against, especially when you get involved to that level. Others of you, maybe it's not uh, you're getting like running for office. Maybe you have an issue that you want to be an advocate for and you spend a lot of time focusing and, and understanding all the details and all the uh, legalities and all of the intricate levels of what, what kind of progress has been made, what kind of progress hasn't been made on specific issues. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's one thing that, that you can be an advocate for and educate uh, your, your people, your government representatives. You can advocate and represent to them. And you can spread awareness to the community about this particular thing. That's, if the Lord leads you to do that, then do that. And do it all for the glory of God. If I wasn't uh, called by God to be in local church ministry as a preacher, then like one of the areas that is close to my heart and that I would want to be an advocate for is in the area of an advocate to see it end is in the area of human trafficking. Uh, in, in our day right now, there's, there are more slaves uh, on this earth today than ever before in history. And many of those are women and children. Many of them are used as, as prostitutes and, and other uh, ways of sex trafficking. And I want to see that end because that's not just that's not seeing justice come down. That's close to my heart. I would want to see that changed. So I would spend more time advocating in that area. Well, what is it for you? Uh, this is what I want you to walk away with today. We can work for the common good while seeking to make disciples of Jesus. We can. We can, we can walk and chew gum. We can work for the common good while seeking to make disciples of Jesus. What's most important? Making disciples of Jesus. What's also important? Seeking the common good. And the, the area that you can seek the common good in is in the realm of politics, unfortunately. That is an area that you can seek the common good for human flourishing, and you can make that work happen. That, that, that's, that's, that's the reason we should care about politics, not just out of self-preservation, friends. Because we're not given over to fear and anger and sensationalism. But we're, we're given over to a mission to follow Jesus, to make disciples, and to see more people who are made in God's image. We don't want them to suffer. We want them to be working for the common We want to work for the common good so that they are not just in survival mode, but that they can also be receptive. Once they get out of survival mode, they can be receptive to what Jesus has to say to them. So we work for the common good and we can make disciples of Jesus at the same time. Now, again, friends, we've just worked at this, making this bow and I know it's ugly. It's not full. But it's a big package to try and wrap up. You remember back in uh, biology class, y'all remember um, when you, maybe you had to dissect the frog Hands up if you did that. Okay. Um, this is not dissecting a frog. This is more like this dissecting a giraffe. First service, I said elephant. And then I caught myself landmine. Boom. 
Y'all realize there are a lot of landmines when we talk about politics? Woo! Giraffe. <laughs> we're not dissecting a frog, we're dissecting a giraffe. And y'all, that takes some time. You start cutting that bad boy open, you see, whoa, this that's a lot here. This is involved. Maybe politics is your thing. Well, do it for the glory of God. And work your whole life at being this. No matter where your level of involvement is going to be moving forward, I think we can, we can, we can latch onto this, and maybe this makes the bow a little bit better. Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I think if we stick to that, we'll do okay. I think if we stick to that, we'll be able to do some good in this world. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray and sing to our good God. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you are here, that you are um, leading us and calling us to follow you in every area of life. Um, Father, help us to, um, to see that, that there's so much involved in this, that there are so many landmines we can, we can land on. There's so many things, but God, ultimately we know that um, you are working out all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. And God, our heartbeat, I pray you would make it our heartbeat that we would see more people come to know who you are and to surrender in faith to you so they can have freedom in this life and in the next. Um, God, help us to be uh, people who promote the common good as we seek to make disciples of yours. We love you, Jesus. We need your guidance in this area and all the rest. Please lead us and hear us as we sing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.